This is episode 15 of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus Mountains of Russia. I'm Andrew. And I'm Eli. And welcome. And Happy New Year. Yes. Yes. 2018. In Russia, we would say Snovom Godom. Snovom Godom. There, yeah. Which Happy means New Year. Happy New Year. And it is head and shoulders above every other holiday in Russia. Yeah. So in, if you're listening and you don't live in Russia, um, pretty much <laughs> the whole country shuts down the whole week after, after New Year's. And it feels, if you're from the U.S., it feels just like Christmas, at least kind of the marketed secular Christmas, Santa trees, like ornaments, food, presents, but all of it's on New Year's and is and just about New Year's. Throw in July 4th with lots of fireworks. Oh, um, so many fireworks. But then, like literally the whole country takes a week off, like never happens in the West. So right. it is very unique. Yes. It is great. Yeah. So, happy New Year to everyone! Snovum Godum. We're um, yeah, we're awesome. gonna we're going to uh, ascend to new heights starting in the new year, aren't we, Andrew? Pun intended. Hey. <laughs> yeah. So let's uh, let's just move it right in here. Um, speaking of new heights, <laughs> we've in doing these podcasts and um, kind of engaging with our listeners, we've realized that some people know the biggest draw of the North Caucasus, but a lot of people in the West have never even heard of it. And it is Caucasus uh, Talk, your source for culture. Oh, oh, the different biggest draw. Sorry, got it. Obviously, everybody's heard of our <laughs> podcast. Um, but uh, no, what we're talking about is the highest mountain in Europe, the which high. is Mount Elbrus. Elbrus. And which, that is here in the North Caucasus. Um, question, should Elbrus yes. be on... Our name, our list of potential baby names? Yes or no? You decide. <laughs> wow. And just, and if you're laughing, if you think that's silly, that is a name here in the Caucasus. <laughs> I've never met an Elbrus. Have you? I haven't, but I've, I, there's a, um, there's a pretty well known singer, a Balkar singer. His name is Elbrus. Elbrus. Well, yeah. It's like Elmer. Like, why not Elbrus Fudd? Yeah. Now, is it, is it isn't it, doesn't like rub some people the wrong way that this is in Europe because it's so far east. I mean, is, I, I feel like there are detractors out there. Or, I mean, historically, is it not yeah. contested or or is it not? So, uh, that's a great question, Eli. One thing that's contested um, is that it's not in the EU. Uh huh. Yeah, and so the highest mountain in the EU, uh, the European Union, is Mount Blanc. In France, which is fifteen thousand something feet, and if you want to say it French, just just um, hold your nose and say Mont Blanc, Mont Blanc. (laughs) That's probably closer to how it sounds. Insulting all my French friends. No French, Thomas. (laughs) But if you're looking at geographic Europe, Mm -hmm. Mount Elbrus is the highest mountain, and it's yeah, and it's generally accepted. And you know Um, how you can know is if you have any questions, just confer with your. Risk your board game risk because it's clearly in Europe. There, that's right. Yeah, it's I blue. do know risk. Yes, it's a it's blue. It's a land route. So there. Yeah, my <laughs> my reference point is even more official than that. Ooh, um, it's the the FIFA soccer geographical gatherings uh, uh, groupings. The authorities have spoken. Yeah, Russia always plays in in the Euro Cup. 
and they're always grouped with Europe. So, so that's I, I stand. I stand with FIFA. <laughs> um, but listeners, in case I know, often you don't think when you think Europe, you don't think Russia. But basically, the western half of Europe, western half of Russia, is considered geographically Europe. I'm glad and you didn't then, say the western half of Europe is considered Russia because yeah. that could have. <laughs> Depends who you ask. Moving right along. Yeah. But uh, the east of the Ural Mountains, like eastern Russia, uh, they would consider it more Asia. Of course, Russia is one country and it's huge, but in general, Russia is considered Europe. How many continents do you think there are in the world, Andrew? How many would you say? Continents? Yeah, continents. Seven. Seven, right? Did we yes. already have this conversation about That's- continents? Is this a trick question? Well, no, but I spoke to my friends from Latin America, and they teach them there are five. Really? Yes, five continents. Oh, is it just because of the land masses? I don't, it's, yeah. I mean, Separate land masses? They consider America all one, which technically or physically is, and I think Antarctica is like part of Australia or something. So, anyway, just interesting. (laughs) (laughs) It's cultural. That must must be what the other one is. (laughs) Anyway... It's, I uh, can see how those are the same. <laughs> hey, back on point. Eli and I were just joking about how, like, we should, we can definitely do this in twenty five minutes, and then we both just started <laughs> laughing because we can never stay on topic. By we, he means I, but that's okay. I own. That. All right. So th- it may not seem like an obvious topic to a lot of our listeners here in the West, El Bruce, but I I was home uh, most of the fall. Uh, this past fall, 2017. In the, in the U.S.? Yes, in the U.S. And almost every person I talked to about El Bruce had never heard of it. Yeah. yeah. I think that's true. Yeah. And so, um, it, like, listeners, this is a huge deal. Think about it. It's the, again, pun intended, uh, but it's the highest <laughs> mountain in Europe, and it's included in the seven summits around the world of, like, that alpinists try to climb right. As- uh, the high- highest peak in every... Every continent. Like our so, like our main man, um, Kevin, from Alabama. That's right. Who, by man, the he, way, he, emailed. He, got, he keeps getting shout-outs. He gets them all the time. See what happens when you email us? You get on our, our list. If, and- if you reach out to us and we don't know you, we will every three episodes <laughs> guaranteed talk about you. So remember that time that guy emailed us? No, we do get emails. Um, but <laughs> actually, he told me he got his uh, his his present in the mail that we we mailed him with russian stamp on it it's pretty exciting that's so awesome but so seven summits yeah. yeah it's one of them yeah um so yeah it's a big deal um so we're gonna kind of there's a lot of interesting things to talk about el bruce let's kind of start with some of the basics for those of our listeners who, who had no idea and have no idea <laughs> what it is um okay so obviously the the caucasus mountain range is it's a big, tall, large mountain range, uh, very beautiful, but Elbrus towers above all the other mountains. I, he- I think head that, and shoulders. Yeah, I think the highest peak besides Elbrus in the Caucasus is Kazbek, uh-huh. Kaz, which is Kazbegi, which is in Georgia. Oh. It's basically, it's actually really close geographically to Elbrus, but it's across the border. Uh-huh. Um, and Elbrus is eighteen thousand five hundred ten feet. And I, I think Kazbegi's in the thirteen thousand something range. Whoa! I need to I need to confirm that. That's a mile. A mile is five thousand two hundred eighty feet. So that's roughly a mile difference in height, like a mile yeah. taller. 
we, you know what? We'll, we at some point will confirm that. I, I may be, <laughs> maybe off on that. But often, Kasbegi is referenced as kind of like the rival mountain to Elbrus uh-huh. in the Caucasus. So um, how many meters is that? 18,510 feet is how many meters? That is 5,642 meters. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a... It's a big, beautiful, big, beautiful mountain goes without saying. Uh, and it actually, you know, if you think of like a super high mountain, you may think like Everest or another mountain that is really jagged mm-hmm. at the top. Uh, but, but Elbrus is kind of, some have called it like a gentle giant. Like it, right. it's kind of these so two kind of looks like two camel humps from the, the distance. Well, it's, yeah, it's double peaked. There's, it's like a, it's a little notch in the top and you've got two separate peaks. Yeah, the name is Elbrus. It actually, this name has its uh, roots or derivation from Iranian mythology. Go figure. Uh, from the word Alborz. Yeah, uh, so like really ancient. Um, locally, so Elbrus sits in Balkar and Karachai land, uh-huh. uh, which is there in the Caucasus. Those are two ethnic groups that are basically brother people groups. Um, languages are almost identical same culture um but they actually call it the balkars and karachais call elbrus mingitao 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 which means ah tao means mountain yes it means mm. resembling a thousand mountains mingi mingi, mingi. a thousand yeah. that's a great word for a thousand i think we should bring that into the um into the cultural lexicon i'll take a mingi of them <laughs> give me a mingi um this is really interesting. Elbrus actually has a place in Greek mythology. So like you see kind of Greek like mythology. Yes. Greek mythology. It goes way back. Um, the basic story is that Zeus chained Prometheus to Elbrus to the mountain. Ooh. And these were both gods. Is that right? Zeus and Prometheus. Yeah. Prometheus was the son of Poseidon, who's Zeus's brother. So his nephew, but anyway, okay. it's all yeah. in the family see, in Greek mythology. Listeners, I can confidently ask Eli a question like this and know he'll have an answer. I, I would just be blanking if he asked me. All right. So Zeus chained Prometheus to Elbrus as punishment for stealing fire from Zeus and then sharing it with mankind. Oh, Prometheus, our main man. Yeah. And so Zeus sent a, uh, an eagle to eat his liver, oh. Prometheus's liver. Gosh. And then Heracles intervened and everything was okay. Okay, this is why, so my wife and I have had the idea that like it would be great to introduce our children to like classical literature and and mythology. (laughs) And so you sit down at night with this like, you know, compendium of Greek mythology and you start reading it and all of a sudden you're like, um, and he sent an eagle to sit on his head and (laughs) just like keep going. It's like, what was the bird going to do? He was going to eat out his liver while he was still living, son. (laughs) Go to bed. (laughs) So it's, it's pretty, uh, kind of raw, kind of (laughs) rough. Wow. Maybe we should have put a disclaimer on this podcast. (laughs) This is no longer going to be children are listening. Yeah. It's going to be like of a mature rating. No, it's fine. It's all family friendly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so anyways, like, Elbrus is is so epic and huge that uh, Prometheus got changed to, chained to it back in the day. Oh, it's chain, cool wait, wait, wait. To, changed into it or chained chained to it? chained to the mountain? Okay, because Prometheus is a shapeshifter, and so I didn't know if he. Sh- anyway, that's really cool. Um, yeah, yeah, I've heard about that story. I didn't know it was Elbrus. 
now we know. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So pretty interesting. So the Greeks knew about uh, Elbrus. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't even, we're going to a little later uh, talk about kind of where Elbrus is referenced in Russian literature. But I mean, I wonder, I actually don't know. Maybe it probably was referenced maybe in ancient Greek literature as well. That'd be interesting to look into. Yeah, I haven't yeah. read anything about that, but yeah. Anyways. Good question. So uh, something interesting about Elbrus, it is an inactive volcano. Now, did you know that? I did know that. Do you know what makes an inactive volcano inactive? I mean, uh, it is not active, but I mean, there's, there's, what is there? Dormant, inactive, and extinct. Do you know anything about those? I'm not trying to bait you. I'm actually wondering. Let me tell you what I know, which is not a lot, but uh, Elbrus has not erupted in over 2,000 years. Last time it, well, about 2,000 years. Last time it erupted was 50 AD. If that's the case, I mean, when I think of an active volcano, I think like an open hole at the top with lava bubbling or possibly there's potential for it to spill out. <laughs> you can look down at it. The Elbrus <laughs> doesn't have any holes like that uh, and it hasn't erupted in 2,000 years. So I don't know if that helps at all. And do you know, I just wonder if there's any like steam vents or anything or if it's totally cold because inactive I'm, might mean dormant. Yeah, I'll have to look into this because there are some mountains and I feel like I've seen pictures of this from the Caucasus. I don't know from Elbrus or not. Like in the Pacific Northwest where I lived, like on Mount Rainier, for example, it's also a volcano, but it is, I don't know, inactive, dormant. It's not extinct, but right. so it's not about to um, erupt that anyone knows, but there are steam vents, but they're like 50 feet under the ice. So there are these ice caves that are like this beautiful, smooth, watery texture on the inside that go way down next to the rock from where the steam comes out. Yeah. Pretty wild. Wow. I don't know if Elbrus has those or not, but it could. I have not heard of those, but I know there's a lot we don't know. Um, Check the show notes. Yes. Um, yeah. So anyways, uh, that's kind of some interesting things in history. Um, the first person to ever, so like, this is really interesting, you know, people haven't always been climbing Elbrus, mm-hmm. you know, cause that like what Elbrus is known for today is like, it's a destination for mountain climbers. Sure. Um, but the first person to ever climb it was in 1829. So that was less than 200 years ago. Um, it was a, a Kabardian or a Kabardine man, uh, Kinlar Kashirov. Uh, he was the first. So there's two peaks. There's the Western peak and the Eastern peak. He was the first to summit the Eastern peak, which is not the highest peak. Um, the one who you hear about the most in history was in 1874, the first to summit the Western peak. Um, it was a Balkar man. So from right. that land, Achia Satayev, and he led uh, an expedition. It was an academic, like scientific expedition, three Brits and a Swiss guy and a Bolkar guy. See, that is, that's sort of the age when people start doing that stuff. Yes. Do you know what was the mountain? Do you happen to know what was it to locals and Balkars before that first guy in 1820, whatever climbed it, you know, was it, huh. did it feature religiously or was it sort of 
Because our a, yeah, our, our view of these of these wild places is so different in the modern era than it was a couple hundred years point. ago. Like yeah. one of the first um, Europeans who found the Grand Canyon, for example. I don't have the quote handy, but he was an explorer and he came there and he said something like, this is a godforsaken land that's horrible. No one will ever want to come here and it's a waste <laughs> of time to even try and get here. Um, we, you know, we're going to, our plan listeners is to interview um, one of our, one of my good Balkar friends right. who lives at the base of Mount Elbrus and he has a lot of experience actually as a mountain guide on the mountain, um, uh, like a climbing guide. And so, he knows the Balkar history really well. I, I, it would be fascinating to talk to him about that to get awesome. his yeah. his insights. Good. Um, so yeah, once in 1874, once it was summited uh, during the Soviet Union, uh, it really took off. Kind of this culture of climbing the mountain, mm-hmm. uh, peak, ascending the peak, and um, yeah. So really, in the last hundred years, that's kind of become a big deal about El Bruce. I want to talk. I want to to help you picture it in your mind. Uh, in your minds, listeners, I want to like talk about it from like the ground level. Tor- yeah, like from your eyes, like mm-hmm. what it looks like. Um, so, so Eli and I live in Pitigorsk, which is about three, three and a half hour drive. You can see Elbrus from our city on, on a clear day when, um, especially in the morning, that's often when it's most visible. It's just stunning. You can see the mountain range, but then Elbrus towers kind of above it all. I mean, I think we mentioned this in a very early episode, what it's like living here, because you look, I, I walk my son to school across a main cross, uh, a main boulevard and we cross the crosswalk there and it's, it's a, on a hill. So I always look left. It's right at the McDonald's. I always look left because on a clear day, you can see the whole range and it's just piles of, and I mean, we're talking miles away and you can see vertical drop-offs that have to be a thousand feet, you know, just these amazing shapes. Um, against the skyline, and then, <laughs> then there's this huge white mound that just rises above it. And at different times in the year, the sun hits it differently, and that and that morning glow is really stunning. And I've had cars <laughs> honk at me because I'm going too <laughs> slowly across the crosswalk, staring at the at the mountain. <laughs> You're just standing and all in the middle of the road, oh, holding your children's it. hands. They're probably, it's probably because you have children with you. Get I'm out run of the this road. guy over if he doesn't. Terrible dad. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. Um, so yeah, it really is a, a beautiful sight from Pitigorsk. So most uh, climbers or tourists who come to see El Bruce, they fly into our local airport, which is Mineral Nevadi. The best. Um, and that's about 25 minutes from Pitigorsk. Mm-hmm. And then they make the drive to Elbrus. And so, so think about this, uh, listeners. Pitigorsk is at sea level. Um, <laughs> is it really? Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, Min, the airport Minvadi is at sea level. Oh, my gosh. We'll confirm that. But that's my understanding. I've looked around for that information. That was the best I could I could I believe find. you. Um, it's a three-hour drive to Elbrus. And so on the drive, probably the first hour and a half, you're kind of driving through like basically lowlands, uh, agricultural fields of Orchards, apples and corn yeah. and hu- huge farmlands. Really pretty. But then you, you turn right uh, on the road to Elbrus. And that's right before you get to Nalchik in Kabardino Bulkaria. When you turn right, all of a sudden you start seeing mountains on your right and left side. 
that last hour and a half, they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It, it's such a beautiful drive. Right. And by the time you get to Elbrus, to the base, of, like the, the foot of the mountain, you are all of a sudden at 8,000 feet above sea level. Good grief. Which is 2,450 meters. Um, so you don't really, you can kind of tell there in the last 30 minutes that you're rising a little and you, you feel it a little bit. Um, your ears I, actually, I was in the car one time when your ears pop and I was in the car one time, uh, when I won't name which of my relatives this was, uh, but <laughs> she, she got, uh, altitude sick and was oh, throwing up at 8,000, yeah. at 8,000 feet. Yeah, just on the drive there. And I've never seen anybody else that happen to anybody else, so don't be, like, scared off by that, listeners. Just, um, just pretend it was 18,000 feet. Give me, you know. It, it might have had something to do with uh, our driver. So <laughs> you're there at 8,000 feet, and you don't... It's not until the last 15 minutes of that drive that you can kind of get a glimpse through the, the mountain, kind of the right, huge rock walls so, on each side. They're so close, and it's yeah. so closed in. You start at that point seeing the snow peaks uh-huh. in the distance. Um, so from there, the, how you get up Elbrus is you take, they're called cable cars or, right? Gondolas. Or gondolas. That's right. There's lots of different words, but um, there's three levels. So you can take it, you can take them like the group ones up to the first level. And anyone can do it. You can just go on and pay for the ticket. 10 bucks or whatever, and go up to the first level and walk around. That's right. And then you go up to the second level, and the views at both the first and second level are just absolutely stunning. I mean, so beautiful. You can look back down in the valley. You're surrounded by the rest of the Caucasus Range. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you can take a a rickety one-seater from the second level up to the third level. The third level is base camp for those who want to climb Mount Elbrus. And do you have altitudes, elevations for these? So the third level, so the foot of the mountain is 8,000 feet. That's 2,450 feet, meters. Right. Base camp where like people acclimatize yeah. for three or four or five days What's before that, they ascend to the top. 12,467 feet. So that's, is, three, that's 3,840 meters. This is something that's, I think, a little bit different about Elbrus. Not only is it's size huge um like people have been to the alps think the alps are must be you know at close to this tall but it's because the alps come up from there's such a dramatic change in elevation a sudden change in elevation so the alps you know just rise up from the low plains right in front of you to whatever i don't know around um, I think 14,000 or something like that, Mont Blanc. Do you know right. Mont Blanc's elevation? Do uh, you have it there? 15,780 15, feet. Which is four, a huge mountain in and of 4, itself. 4,800 meters, yeah, yeah. So that's a big mountain, but it's it's mostly the the change, the sudden change. And with some of the huge, huge mountains, like, like um, what's it called? Um, Everest. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're up at like the height of, Elbrus before you start hiking, you know, climbing. So when you see a picture of it, it looks like a big mountain, but you don't realize that the picture is being taken from like yeah. three, two miles, three miles up in the air already. Um, yeah. And so Elbrus, I think one of the things that makes it so beautiful is that compared to the mountains around it, you have this huge sudden change of elevation. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, 
And so if you're, I mean, listeners, I'm like you, I'm a tourist. I've not climbed Mount Elbrus. I'm not a mountain climber by literally any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> um, but here's the gondola and, rider. Yeah, I can ride this. I can ride those things, ride baby. Um, but if you're just wanting to come and see it, you can come up to the second level and you will not regret, like you will be totally satisfied with your experience. Uh-huh. Like it is so, so beautiful. Uh, the surrounding range and you have a good view of Elbrus from there. Um, and then up to the third level, of course, is really beautiful too. the base camp. Um, but that's taking which, the one seater. You say that and I, I'm a skier. I'm thinking of like a tow rope. You you know, like on the bunny slope, the the kind of thing that go, the T bar that goes between your legs and you hold the rope and it pulls you up on your skis. But it's an actual seat that you sit yeah, in. Yeah, it's a seat. <laughs> you have a one of those like levers you pull down in front in, of you to keep you in there. Oh man, uh, it feels more secure than it looks. Um, <laughs> it's been running strong since 1967. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, it's been <laughs> it's been up a long time. Um, but anyways, so. It just really, I, I've never been that high or um, elevation speaking, uh, and I've never seen anything comparable to how beautiful it is up there. It's just so, so beautiful. Um, so understandably, it is a big draw for people to come to see. For sure. Um, so that's from my perspective. Uh, in an upcoming episode, we're going to get the perspectives, like Eli said, of a an American mountain climbing guide who's climbed it recently, and then also a local uh, ball car guide who has lots of experience on the mountain. Yes, it'll be great to hear from their perspective too. All right, so listeners, that was the first part of our um, kind of discussion about Mount Elbrus. Our our next episode, we're going to continue that discussion, but uh, for our sake, really for your sake, uh, so we're not putting out hour-long episodes (laughs) every time, uh, we are trying to exhibit a little self-control and um split it up um reel it in yeah give you you so you can actually listening to it in one sitting um all right well before we go let me throw out a little extra content as we like to do at the half hour mark or kind of a news news ish minute great so this will only take 20 minutes (laughs) (laughs) people are like yeah yeah we know um yeah so um this news minute includes a shout out so my friend Liz from Arlington, shout out, whoop! Arlington, Texas? Ar- Arlington, Virginia. Arlington, Virginia, okay. She lives in Arlington, Virginia. She's actually from PA, which those of you who are from PA know what that is. It's a, st- <laughs> it, it's a state. My, my um, grandma was from PA, and I don't think she ever said, I'm from PA. <laughs> okay, but the thing is, only people from PA say PA. Other people say Pennsylvania. Got it. And that's it. Got it. Because that's just a thing. So it's like a shibboleth. It's like an insider code. Hmm. And I just gave it away for free to all of you, our valued listeners. So shout out to Liz, who sent me an email about a, a, an article she read. But this article was like an Easter egg. It had a lot in it. So the article uh, is called Journey to the North Caucasus, which is a great title because that's like, that's this. That's explore the rugged natural beauty of this hitchhiker's paradise. So at first I'm thinking this is just like a travel blog of some right. um, exceptionally adventurous or misguided person. It's, it appears in the Calvert journal. So this is, there's a lot to this. So right, it's the article, not some like random blogger who nobody reads their website. 
No, like my blog, like dot, what, you know, misspelled, <laughs> whatever. Um, so this, uh, the author is the producer of a new documentary, a British documentary. Um, and the, the author is, is putting some of her, is it a her? His. The, her. the actual explorer is his. The, the author is a, is the a female. Is his. Yeah, Diana. Is it her? Okay. Yeah, there it is. Uh, some of her own photographs, which are just awesome from the views to like, man, snapshots of people like the dude with a huge furry hat and a huge furry beard. Yeah. My wife said he's, his crooked nose matches his crooked shepherd staff. Um, anyway, so she's sharing about her own photographs while producing this film. I'll let Andrew, I'll let you talk about the film in a minute, but I want to say a word about this journal. So this is called the Calvert Journal, um, put out by Calvert 22 Foundation. Okay. It is a journal devoted to arts and culture in the New East. Andrew. Do you know hmm. that we are in the New East? Is that us? Is that the Caucasus? We, it is we. Well, it's not only us. The culture and creativity of the New East, Eastern Europe, the Balkans, Russia, and Central Asia. Oh! So basically... Wow. Yeah. Is, they're, that, they're, is that like a thing, the New East? Or are they making that up? Or I think that's they're... That's fascinating. You know, people like this who are culture makers, they get to make that up. Yeah. And then it is a thing. So I think it's a thing. So. They're identifying this this blob, this area of kind of contiguous culture that is worth reporting about and giving right. its own attention to. It's really neat. It's all post-Soviet, um, but it's all going in sort of this, maybe uh, there's a, a resurgence or a, just a surgence, if it's not happening again, an uprising, whatever, of of kind of new arts yeah. And creativity and culture. That's a good so, point. You know, that's a good point. You said post-Soviet because if we're honest, most people in the West, when we hear Soviet Union, we think Russia. We think just Russia. We think just Russia. But the Soviet Union was 15 different countries. From sea to shining sea. Yes. Belarus, Ukraine, but like getting into Central Asia with yeah. Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, and then down to the Caucasus, Armenia, Azerbaijan. So... It actually, the Soviet Union was an extremely diverse place when you're talking about languages, cultures, religions, people. Um, An incredible phenomenon culturally. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. That is, that's a really good insight. So incredible meaning, um, amazing to see what happened um, with, in, in that cultural mix. So these guys yeah. are devoted specifically to that area. So that's really cool to find out about. Huh. Shout out to Liz. But then the, it's actually um, a nod to this documentary series. Um, Andrew, what do you know about this? Yeah, I had never heard of this guy until um, you connected me to this, Eli. But this, the, uh, it was a documentary about a British explorer named Levison Wood. Um, so I don't know if he's on anybody's um, grid, but he apparently is this kind of crazy explorer guy who says some of the things he's done has included walking the entire length of the Nile River, as well as, like, <sighs> I quote, a death-defying trek through the Himalayas. Um, so apparently this guy does crazy things, and he takes uh, film crews with him. Well, and and what he's done up up to this point is just walking. Ah, um, uh, yeah, yeah. He walked, he walked all, like, I think, across the U.S., um, and then these other ones you mentioned. 
But in the in the North Caucasus trip, which is not limited to the North Caucasus, it's, it's the Trans Caucasus, a bit of Iran, but ends up in I think in Dagestan, he just kind of does a full cultural plunge. Yeah, and it says. I mean, it says here that the route was from Sochi to Dagestan. So that's all the way from the Black Sea on the western part of the Caucasus to the Caspian Sea on the eastern part. That that must have taken a long time. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so definitely check this article out. Uh, So, Eli, do you have, are there actually links to the documentary? Not on the the website, but I did a little search using... um, the ingenuity and power of my brain and my friend Google. And all, <laughs> there are four installments of this um, documentary on YouTube, which I will link in the show notes. It's called From Russia to Iran, Crossing the Wild Frontier. That's awesome. By British Ex- Explorer Loveson Wood. British Explorer, that's just sort of like, that's classy. I mean, I didn't think yeah. there were anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, our British friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just mean it's like a thing of the past, you know, because yeah, everything's been explored. Sound, so it's it's yeah. pretty ballsy to um sorry, am I allowed to say that? It's pretty, <laughs> Do not edit that out. <laughs> it's pretty gutsy to I self-identify. It's like I am an explorer. It's 2017, I'm an explorer. Yeah. But of course, I mean there, you know, there's geography, but then there's there's culture and there's the changing um situation in different places. So it's like you may discover a place, but then it can always be discovered again. Right. So I'm yeah. behind that. I'm all for that. So I'm a explorer. Listeners, listen to what the article is actually written by the producer of that documentary. Listen to what she says. I mean, this is like the best kind of pitch for the North Caucasus there could be. She says, from dramatic mountain peaks to extraordinary emerald was- reservoirs, peaceful farmsteads to vibrant vineyards, breathtaking scenery is found at every turn in the Caucasus, boasting delicious food and some of the friendliest people. The region makes an unforgettable travel destination. What else do you need? I mean, really cool. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what you need. And uh, the third section down, she says, "Sadly, many Russians and Europeans, Europeans still consider it unsafe." To my surprise, it being the North Caucasus was the smoothest and most enjoyable, enjoyable journey. Um, so that was her experience. That's Very really cool. awesome. Just really yeah, cool. so we'll link that in the show notes. Um, and again, these these pictures are super high quality and really, yeah. I mean, it's breathtaking. Yeah. So check that out. Yeah. Um, man. <laughs> it's funny. One of them is like a picture of a stretch limo parked on the grass next to sort of a one-story home yeah. in the countryside. And <laughs> I mean, it, uh, some of them are like, what's the, what's the picture? Oh, I get it. Oh, that's funny. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah that would be funny. <laughs> yeah. You're sort of kind that's of stop awesome. noticing. Well, well Liz, cool. yeah. Thank you for that, Liz, from Arlington, Virginia. Whoop, whoop. Um, it doesn't right. take much for us to give you a shout out on our podcast. So how do, how can, how can our Liz. listeners <laughs> reach out to us with questions or stuff like that? Ah. Uh, we are not on social media because we just don't have time. But you, <laughs> you can email us or go to our website, which is caucustalk.com, C-A-U-C-A-S-T-A-L-K.com, and email us at podcast at caucustalk.com. Yeah. Uh, you can leave us a comment. So far, shout out to Dorothy from Illinois, who is the only website commenter nice. at this point that I'm aware of. But she leaves comments. So we are That's all awesome. about those. Thank you, Dorothy. Um, and you can leave us a comment there. Um, or of course, as always, you can leave us a review, which we read and, um, memorize. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so listeners, 
uh, we want to ask you like basically how podcasts kind of get out there more. They go up Google rankings and they're easier to find on iTunes is through reviews and ratings. And so we do want to ask if if you're enjoying this podcast, um, if you want to, you can rate it one to five stars, five being the best. And then you can leave a comment as well uh, saying what you like about it. But we've been sitting at five reviews and nine rankings for a while ratings. And uh, we would love like, I know there's some regular listeners out there. If you hadn't had a chance to do that, go on the iTunes store and uh, oh. leave us a review. We would really, right. really appreciate it. And and that includes you, our wives. You can do that anytime. We'll take the kids for 10 minutes. You go ahead and go and leave those <laughs> reviews. <laughs> just, just put um, that out there. Now, what, uh, what if our no, wives aren't listening to this right now? So... They're they're doing valuable yeah. needed things if they're not listening to in the in I the also I know we have, we have, we have a lot of listeners around the world and so <laughs> if you can live us a review in another language that would be awesome. Yeah. Oh. That would be. So, anyways, sweet. well, thanks for listening um listeners. This was episode 15, A, 15A, is that right? Yeah, we're going to we're going to continue the Elbrus talk so we'll just keep it at episode 15 just just to hopefully simplify um again this is caucasus talk your source for culture history and tourism in the north caucasus mountains of russia russia as our producer friend says a hitchhiker's paradise and we will see you when you get here